Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Communications and Media with ABWE, joined again by Scott Dunford, my beloved co-host here coming in from Fremont, California. Scott, we've talked about current events often on the show. We've talked at length about your time ministering in East Asia and some of the unique things that you learned along the way. We're going to do something a little bit different here today, and I'm excited to introduce our next guest. Before we dive into that, just a couple of housekeeping items. If this show is a blessing to you, you know how to help the show reach more people and equip more people. You can leave a rating in your podcast platform of choice, especially Apple Podcasts. That really helps get this content in front of other people that can be blessed and edified and mobilized by it. You can also support the show by going to missionspodcast.com slash support. Scott, if people read the title of today's episode, I'm sure they're bracing themselves for quite a doozy. So how about we dive right in and let me introduce our guest today, who our guest today is David Tan. That may or may not be his real name, but David is uh, experienced in ministry. David is Chinese. He works with Chinese And he is going to be our expert on the happenings in China today from a geopolitical perspective. And then let's also sketch out some implications for missionaries. David, how are you doing today? Very good, Alex. So glad to have you today in the studio, no less as well. It's wonderful when we can make that happen. Uh, First, Scott, I just want to give it to you, actually. And Scott, I know your heart bleeds for China. Yeah. And how have you been feeling lately the last couple of Years, months, I mean, even in the last few weeks, I mean, the, the, the amount of headlines about the growing tension, man, I, yeah. I know that pulls at your heartstrings in a unique way as someone who served as a missionary there. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, certainly you read the news and your, as your heart, no matter what part of the world is going on, you have some kind of affection or, you know, you have some kind of feeling about the people that are involved. But it's different when you're dealing with a country where you start, instead of just thinking about the geopolitical unit and the president and all the political things going, you start seeing real faces and real names connected to those faces. And you realize, hey, it's, it's, it's a lot more complicated than just simply who's in power and what policies are enacting it. It affects real people who really have nothing to do with the policies there. And, uh, you know, certainly I live in a part of the country in which, you know, uh, if you're if, you, if you're not a Hindu, you're probably Chinese. <laughs> and if you're not, then the rest of us kind of fall in somewhere between uh, somewhere around there. So, I mean, even just this week, you know, I just sat down and and uh, got to practice my really bad Mandarin, you know, with with a friend here. And we you have know, Chinese radio stations and television stations. It's almost like living in China. Uh, so we want to just dive into this question because, you know, certainly you have a unique perspective, David, on these things and, and kind of dive into you know, how we should think about the news, uh, especially related to China and American tensions from a Christian perspective and how it affects ministry. So you'd have to be living in a hole not to see that, yes, we've had tensions for a long time, but over the last few months, especially, it just seems like the tensions have risen to new levels. You know, you've got Chinese fighter jets buzzing, you know, American uh, American intelligence planes. You've got, you know, it seems like a buildup toward Taiwan. You've had the things going on in Hong Kong. So as we think about these things, what are some of the key factors that are driving this geopolitical rivalry? Um, and, and how do they impact the Christian workers, especially the, the foreign Christian workers that are working in these countries? Okay, let me just uh, share about 
my perspectives on the factors behind the uh, growing geopolitical tensions. As you know, there are so many factors uh, behind the tensions. I would just like to share maybe the top five that I believe that are key factors contributing to the tension. The first and most fundamental factor, I think, is China's rapid economic growth. I would call it stunning. I don't think in human history we have ever witnessed such rapid growth within such a short period of time. And its econ economic growth is the power engine behind China's advances in all other areas, such as military, technology, finance, diplomacy, and so on. So I view this as the primary factor contributing to the tension uh, with the U.S. Over the last few decades, China has rapidly and you know, steadily grown as an economic power, which gives it the capacity to do whatever else they wanted to do. I mean, to, to modernize its military and to uh, strengthen its diploma, uh, diplomatic powers. So to, to make China a great nation, again, is, is just a, a vision that President Xi Jinping has given to his people and has called the imagination of the, na uh, of the entire nation in its drive to become a great power, at least in Asia, if not in the world. So this is the first fundamental one. You know, as, as you ask the economists, depending on how they count it, in fact, China's GDP could be viewed as already surpassing the U.S. already. If you uh, use the, uh, what I call the, uh, the parity, you know, if you think, if you translate China's GDP into what you can buy in China, rather than converting to U.S. dollars, China's GDP surpassed the U.S. in 1914. 2014, oh, I'm 2014. sorry. 2014, oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> 2014. So, I mean, economists can look at it in different ways, but, you know, China's GDP is already very big. Hmm. But, for example, a billion dollars can buy a lot more goods and services in China than here in the U.S. Hmm. So that give us, gives you an idea about uh, China's economic clout. And because it has so much economic power and financial power, it can spend so much more in the military aspect of the budget. And China has steadily invested in key military projects, programs, and technology. They suddenly U.S. realize that China is a major, major military power. And especially when we are talking about a potential conflict over Taiwan in South China Sea that's so close to China and so far away from the U.S., suddenly you realize that U.S. may not have an advantage over China. So this is a concerning aspect. I mean, we all, you know, as, as Christians, I mean, we care for people. I mean, both people in China, in Taiwan, in Southeast Asia, and of course here in the U.S., and this is a concerning development for all of us. So this is the key factor contributing to, uh, to the tension. Can you explain for our listeners why Taiwan is even an issue? Because um, I, I think a lot I think I think a lot of Chinese here are surprised that most Americans see Taiwan as a separate country, and most Americans don't understand why China would risk it all uh, to worry about a little island right next to it that doesn't seem to cause any threat. Yeah. Can you explain that to our listeners? 
And that's a good question. I mean, this I, I think here's a gap of understanding between the Chinese people and the American people. For the Chinese people, and you know, in China, the media is all under the control of the government. And they have always tell people that Taiwan is part of China. And it's a, it's a matter of time before Taiwan. Taiwan is reunited with China, just like Hong Kong and Macau. So can you imagine throughout your lifetime, you've been fed this official line. And so it is very difficult for the average Chinese people to think Taiwan is an independent country. Mm -hmm. Just like for here in America, if you tell people that Florida is an independent country, you will feel right. kind of odd because throughout your school years... <laughs> Texas. <laughs> Texas. <laughs> well... Well, well, Texas is another story. But, you know, throughout <laughs> your years, suddenly, you know, you never thought that Florida would be an independent country, right? Right. And it's the same with the Chinese. I mean, uh, on top of that, ethnically speaking, language-wise, culture-wise, Taiwan and China, I mean, people in Taiwan and China share the same language and culture. In fact, you know, for a long time, I mean, even Taiwanese government today did not declare itself as an independent country, even though it asserts its own sovereignty. You know, they, I mean, President Tsai Ing-wen was considered Taiwan as a de facto country because it's running everything in its own. Mm. You know, so it's a little bit of semantic as to whether or not it is a country. But so internationally, very few countries recognize Taiwan, yeah. including U.S., would not recognize Taiwan as an independent country. You kind of sketched out the economic forces that are driving the tension. These things aren't purely economic, though, right? There's worldviews underneath all these things. Uh, those aren't just neutral, mm -hmm. materialistic causes and factors. So, okay, if that's if those are epiphenomena, right? What what's what's underneath it? What's what's driving the deeper cultural rift? I mean, we know that there's worldview divides uh, between communism and the ideology of the West. We know that there's there, there's Maoism, there's there's atheism, and, and there's Christendom or, or the vestiges of Christendom and what we have here. So even at a deeper level, the economic forces make that more of a problem, but there's a deeper rift underneath that, would you say? Obviously, you know, China and U.S. represent two very different systems. I mean, on one hand, you know, U.S. is the leader of the so-called free world, I mean, advocates a kind of model of society and country. But China just doesn't want to buy the U.S. system. Um, so China has its own system, its own way of governing its people. And of course, throughout history, the two countries disagree. However, though, this is not something new. Now, people can ask, okay, China has had a system like this since China, uh, the communists took over the country in 1949. And U.S. has a system like this for over 200 years. How come today we have this growing tension, unlike in the past? So I would say, you know, ideological difference, political system differences, and cultural differences, and worldviews and values have been there for a long time. Mm -hmm. But it didn't come to this level of tension. Mm -hmm. The reason we come to this level of tension is because China now has grown to be a new powerful country. Mm. That's something that U.S. did not face before. 
And the situation for Christian workers has become more acute as well. Um, You're sketching out how things have developed over the last couple of years. How has that affected ministry workers in your knowledge? Uh, I know of many people who were with various organizations, maybe to have some kind of an impact uh, in country pre-COVID, and COVID certainly changed everything. Mm Mm-hmm. So how would you say, just at a broad level, Christian workers are affected by the escalation? Throughout China's history, you can pretty much tell a correlationship between China's relationship with U.S. and its ups and downs in religious freedom and human rights area. Mm-hmm. Whenever China is friendly with the U.S., Christians and missionaries tend to have more freedom, comparatively speaking. Whenever China relationship with the U.S. deteriorates, the religious freedom and human rights aspect of China also suffers. Mm. So it goes hand in hand. You know, China conducts its foreign policy also in consideration of its domestic policies. They Mm. go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And so whenever China needs to improve relationship with the United States and Western countries, China tend to give more freedom. Mm. to the religious aspect. So as tensions grow with the U.S. and Western countries, there goes the limited freedom for Christians and for missionaries. So as you likely see, a lot of missionaries find it very difficult to operate in China. And in the last few years, a lot of them have left China to come back to the U.S. or to other countries. Mm -hmm. And the churches in China are undergoing a more... Uh, they are facing more crackdowns and, and persecution and discriminations as a result. I can remember, you know, sitting in the visa office and looking at the big board on the wall and the countries, you know, that had favorable relations with China and were at peace with them. And, you know, they, they had very cheap visa renewals. And the ones that were having more attention had a lot more expensive uh, visa renewal fees. And and so I felt you know, personally, just like how much that ebb and flow of relationship would affect even just something as simple as just renewing, you know, you just renewing a visa. Um, what are what are some of the other things that are happening related to religious freedom in the country? You kind of touched on some of that. Are, are there any new policies or regulations that are being enforced or enacted upon um, that are affecting, especially Christian workers from outside of China? Um, what, are you, what are you hearing? What is the level of activity and what is the level of, of persecution and religious pushback right now? Well, in China, you know, there are all kinds of legislative actions, just like here in the U.S. A lot of, a lot of times you need to register with the government. For example, the use of VPN, mm-hmm. right? VPN is a secure way of, you know, communication, as you know. Um, but in China, overall... It, VPN is illegal unless you're registered with the government, Hmm. unless you get approval from the government. So there are a lot of uh, legal aspects like that um, that make it difficult for people to to operate, especially as you know that you have very limited freedom in China and you may not want the government to know everything you do as a missionary or as a Christian. It's just very difficult to operate uh, in that kind of situation. China's system obviously is not rule of law. Some experts would call it rule by law, 
which means they pass laws as a way to help them govern the people. So the law is viewed as a tool by the government, helpful tool to the government, rather than a law that limit the power of the government, just you know, like in the West. So yes, sure. basically the laws are passed to provide a legal base for the government to do whatever they want. For example, uh, they pass laws on national security. And national security interest is vaguely and broadly defined. So basically, the government can charge anybody in the name of violating national security. Mm. And recently, they passed a law on um, anti-espionage. It's the same thing. That if government find out you're passing information they don't like to get out of China or whatever, they can charge you with that. Yeah. And the key thing to keep in mind is that in China, the legal system is not independent. The legal system, the judges are appointed by the Chinese Communist Party. And so the judges and the legal system basically serve the interests of the government. So given this kind of environment and legal structure, very few people can succeed in suing the Chinese government. You you just cannot win unless they let you win. So there's so much that we can get into. I'd love to hear about the underground church. I'd love to hear about the um, the approved church. I'd love to hear about so many different things that I think our listeners are also curious about. But one of the reasons we wanted to have you on, and if only we could share a little bit more about who you are, because suffice for people to know you are eminently qualified to speak to these issues. That's the bottom line. Uh, one thing that that I'd love to have you speak to is what does the future hold? Because I can find other sources to tell me what's happening right now. I think a lot of people are going to be familiar with the issues of the last several years. Uh, we were talking recently uh, at an event about how critical the next decade is going to be. Uh, the trends that we're seeing right now are towards de-globalization. So for years, everyone's talking about globalization and look, there's this this united kind of world culture and there's a global youth culture that's emerged and remote tribal languages are kind of going away and there's there's so many trade languages that are increasingly being adopted, right? And you look at the ubiquity of trade and air travel and and the thing with globalization, by way of context, is globalization arguably isn't globalization. It's, it's really American military supremacy keeping the world in check. It's this post-World War II consensus of saying we're going to keep all of the, uh, especially through our Navy, we're going to keep all of the trade waterways safe and secure to enable trade. And yeah, that whole World War thing, yeah, we're not doing that again. There's been sort of this understanding that we're not going backwards in history. It's that you know so-called end of history paradigm, <laughs> right? Drove a lot of the thinking in the West. But, but now we see the potential for that to change. We see the population in the U.S., in China, throughout all sorts of developed countries, probably starting to peak out, maybe plummet in the coming years. We already talked about the tensions around Taiwan. So all of that to set the stage for you're not a prophet, you're not the son of a prophet, <laughs> but what do you see happening and playing out over the next, say, 10 years that missionaries and Christians should be aware of? I think in terms of the pictures of geopolitical situation, this decade or the next, 
is not going to be a good one. I mean, it is concerning. I, I truly believe we are beginning to see a new world order emerging. It's concerning that I think likely we are already in the Cold War. Hmm. And this is something usually people don't like to hear, and I don't like to hear myself. But I think it is becoming more and more of a reality. U.S. and China are already in the arms race. China has really upgraded its military, including its hypersonic weapons. U.S. is spending a lot on military, and if you look at the news, U.S. is building up, beefing up its allies, in, especially in Western Pacific. Let me give you an example of 54321, okay? Five is the five eyes. That's the group of English-speaking countries sharing intelligence together. U.S., Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and U.K. These five English-speaking countries share intelligence together regarding China. Mm. Four, you had the Quad. U.S., Japan, India, and Australia. These four countries are forming some kind of alliance in the Indo-Pacific to confront China, like you know. I mean, even though they don't say it that, that way. That's what's going on. That's what's going on, and that's how China views it. So there's four. Three, you have AUKUS. Australia, US, and UK working to t- together for Australia to have its own nuclear power submarines. And then you have a lot of bilateral relations, like uh, U.S. is straining them, like U.S. and the Philippines, U.S. and Japan, U.S. and Taiwan, U.S. and South Korea. So there are a lot of bilateral uh, relations uh, that, that, that are strengthening, especially U.S. and the Philippines. Philippines is so close to Taiwan. It's maybe two or three. Its northern tip is only two or three hundred miles from Taiwan. Hmm. U.S. and the Philippines just signed agreements on top of four, I believe it's four, they added five more military bases for the U.S. military to operate. And also in Australia, there are new military bases being built in Australia. So the whole Indo-Pacific area is very tense now in the context of fierce tension and competition between U.S. and China. So it looks like U.S. is building up its military capacities to deter China. While China view U.S. as being aggressive, and China is also building up its military as well. So we are entering a, a new era with a lot of uncertainties. I think we are locked in in the Cold War. Experts call it a great power struggle. Once you are in a great power status, you tend to be in a more protracted period of competition rather than a big country versus a small country. Mm-hmm. But when you are both a, a big country, that what we had with the Soviet Union, then it could be a protracted time of struggle and tensions. And we just pray that leaders on both sides will have the wisdom to manage it well. We are in the war, you know, U.S. might not be able to get whatever it wants. It's becoming more of a, they call it multipolar war rather than the so polar like U.S. was the only uh, superpower for a long time. Mm-hmm. So this is the world we are getting into. I don't know whether you are familiar with the. It's it's a theory. It's called Thucydides theory. Okay, explain that. Basically, it 
It started with a Greek historian Thucydides, and he observed the the tension between the conflict and eventually a war between Spartans and Athens. Spartan was the dominant power, Athens was the rising power. Eventually, they, they go into a war, and Athens was defeated. So Thucydides came up with this theory in that when the rising power challenged the supremacy of the dominant power, a lot of times they couldn't work it out peacefully and had to fight it out to see who is the major power. It's not always, I mean, it's not always inevitable, but a lot of times it happens that way. Mm. And historians could apply that to, you know, the European conflicts, uh, you know, U.S.-Soviet conflicts, and they are now applying this to the U.S.-China tension. And even people in Congress now, even President Xi Jinping, talk about this theory and say, you know, it's not inevitable. Mm. So a hot he, war is not inevitable. A hot war is not inevitable, but they understand the tension. Well, nuclear weapons certainly changes that. Yeah. Well, I want to. I want to ask though. I want to jump in just for a second because I. I. I think that you know from the West, often we look at we look at these situations and we see it definitely through our cultural vantage point and even our historical mm-hmm. perspective. I feel like most Americans um, kind of look at history through the lens of like, Hey, the last 50 years or even the last just couple decades. Right. Um, yes. whereas, you know, I know that, you know, for China and like Japan, there's, there's thousands of years of history and distrust mm-hmm. and the same thing with Korea and, and Japan. And, and I mean, it, it all gets, you know, mixed together. And, and so having a new, an outside force kind of keeping everything in check, at least from a Western perspective is really, you know, particularly good, but can you help us understand a little bit like for why, not just militarily, but why, like even psychologically, like, I know I'm, I'm thinking right now about the Chinese na- national anthem, you know, Chi Lai, Chi Lai, you know, like rise mm-hmm. up, right. A stand, you know, and they even mount yes. Zedong, you know, like China stands up, like help us understand a little bit about why, why China standing up and kind of reclaiming its place as a world power is important psychologically to, to, to China. It is. Uh, I think you brought up a very good point about history. If you look at China's history, especially in the 19th century, China was humiliated as a nation when Western powers, because China was very weak and was not able to defend itself. So literally, it took the British gunboats to open up China. China was not able to defend itself and so the whole country of China was kind of occupied and divided up by Western powers, including Japan and Russia. Therefore, the Chinese historians, historians refer to that period as the century of humiliation. And basically, this is how they view history. The key principle in the Chinese government and historians' way of interpretation is, if you are weak, you will be defeated. I mean, it's a very realistic view of history. Mm -hmm. They don't care what values you have, Mm. what worldviews you have. The key thing is, if you're strong, you can get your way. If you're weak, you'll be defeated, you'll be taken advantage of, you'll be humiliated. Which Which is interesting, by the way, because 
one of the currents, and there's other currents, but one of the major currents in the West right now is weakness, right? It's it's let's let's include all of these different classes in our military. It's it's uh, let's be done with these days of colonialism, right? And so it's it's sort of withdrawing a little bit, right? And I'm not even making comment mm-hmm. on those as individual policies so much much as boy, if, if you've got one group that's in many ways weakening itself and another that's valuing strength. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That that's a tension, kind of obvious. Which way that might lean? Yeah, I guess. I mean, from I tend to, you know, in terms of looking at what actually happens, that seems to be true historically. You just, I mean, we live in a fallen world. Amen. We live in a fallen world, mm-hmm. and it's just a given. I mean, look at the look at what's going on between Ukraine and Russia. You know, your worldviews. It's not going to stop Russia from invading you. Mm-hmm. It it is pure power play right mm-hmm. there. If you're if you're weak, you'll be taken advantage of. You'll be beaten. So with this in mind, this is a, a very powerful inspiration behind the Chinese people and the Chinese government's propaganda. Mm-hmm. Basically, Chinese government said to its people, "We've been humiliated for centuries." We want to modernize so that we can stand up strong. And part of that standing up, including taking over Taiwan mm-hmm. and claiming whatever territory it says it has lost. And so on these subjects, the Chinese government and the Chinese people seem to be on the same page. But of course, behind it all, there is a lot of government propaganda as well, right? I mean, as, you know, as Christians, National interest is not our top priority, right? Mm-hmm. We have kingdom interests higher than mm-hmm. the national interest, wh- whichever nation you come from. And I hope Christians have this viewpoint. So we Christians usually don't blindly follow our leaders, you know, whether it's Democrats or Republicans or whoever. We normally have somewhat an independent view rather than just the national agenda. But unfortunately, mm. this is where our world is going. A lot of countries are becoming nationalistic. And their national interests are not necessarily the Bible interests. I, I think this is the danger we're facing now, that people so blindly follow their leaders in such a way, it's almost like a new idol, mm. that people can be manip- man- manipulated, especially in the countries like China, when, when the media are pretty much in the hands of the government. And so I, 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 I do have a lot of concerns about, you know, where we are heading into. And when you're in a great power struggle now between U.S. and China, this is not something that can easily be solved. I'm praying that God will have mercy on us, that, you know, our leaders on both sides, U.S. and China side, We'll have the wisdom to manage it well so that we can avoid catastrophic consequences. So, okay, so as we think strategically, right, like we we don't know when countries open up, when they're going to close, when political winds mm-hmm. shift. We we just, we don't know those things. Uh, what what advice would you give to to Christian missionaries, to people with a heart for, for ministering to China and Chinese people and the other minority groups within China? You know what? 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 What strategies? Um, what? 
what skills or knowledge do you think that Christians should be focusing on right now and prioritizing as they look forward and think about how can we still minister, even though it feels like, you know, geopolitically and even, you know, border wise that some kinds of ministry are not going to be possible right now? Yeah, I think um, if I could answer that question from from the, you know, from a, a broader perspective before I get into specifics, I think one very important area that we need to keep in mind, you know, either just the average American people or all the missionaries or mission agencies, is that we need to make a distinction, a very, very important distinction between the government and its people. You know, Scott, just like you mentioned, I mean, in light of the U.S.-China tensions, your heart still go out to the to the average Chinese people because they're kind of caught up in this tension. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, people are not necessarily supporting their governments mm. or their government's actions and policies. Mm-hmm. And one concern I have is the potential hate crimes. Mm. Mm-hmm. And acts of violence, prejudices, or bias against people of Asian descent, even right Mm -hmm. here in America. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people may not be able to tell whether you're Chinese, Korean, or Japanese. Uh, I I cannot tell either myself. I mean, look at the rise of hate crimes during COVID. Oh, yeah. If we ever have a military conflict between U.S. and China, you are going to see that type of hate crime increased by 100%. And this is concerning. This, this is a you know, potential risk, but it's also potential resp- uh, opportunities. Mm-hmm. For us, you know, it's, it's a church community to carry the message of love and peace. I mean, no matter what ethnic background you come from, God created us all and God loves us loves us all, and Christ died for us all. So I think it's very important to make a distinction between the people and its government. Mm, In a specific area, um, Alex, you mentioned about decoupling. I just want to make a comment about decoupling. Decoupling, as I look at it, is mostly affecting the companies. You know, I mean, obviously, due to COVID, we realized our supply chain was in trouble. We depend so much on China mm-hmm. for so many things, including something as big, as simple as masks. I mean, producing masks is not high tech, <laughs> but when your factories are there in China, you cannot set up a factory here in the U.S. to produce masks in, in a few months. I mean, you just cannot do it, even though it's as simple. It's not that complicated. It's not, you know, it's not rocket science. And so that, in the COVID highlights the security of the supply chain. Yeah. And U.S. now has realized that, I mean, U.S. do not trust China. U.S. begin to think now we, we should not depend on the country we don't trust for so many of our necessities. And so this is the whole thing about decoupling. As a lot of governments, including U.S. and Japan, are providing incentives for companies to move out of China and hopefully back to their own country. So we are seeing manufacturing jobs coming back to the U.S. So I think this is a trend. But on the other hand, decoupling mostly affects companies' international trade. 
it doesn't affect individuals' travel as much. And I believe all countries continue to want to welcome tourists to come to their countries to well, keep their doors open for that purpose. That brings up another question, something that I want to get at. Travel is important for missionaries, yes. of yeah. course. So uh, when we think about this idea of there being less, fewer superpowers in the world, right? Uh, or, or maybe more superpowers would be another way to put it. You know, there's, yeah. there's been one superpower oh, in the U.S. Right now, there's there's maybe more uh, minor or regional superpowers. Maybe that's the direction that we're going. Um, it seems to me that travel could be affected because so much of travel is because of this current world order that might be replaced with something where you, you kind of see just balkanization mm-hmm. everywhere. Right. Yeah. So. Uh, it seems to me that missionaries should prepare, and and not just missionaries, but you know pastors that are sending short-term missions. Sure, sure. I mean, everyone that's engaged yes. in the mission in any kind of way should be prepared yeah. for travel to be harder. Uh, and and maybe is there a strategy in there to focus on working with national partners um, remotely? How how do you see that playing out? Um, you know, to be technical, you cannot openly go to China as a missionary. You know, right. they don't have, I mean, if you apply for a Chinese visa and telling them you're a missionary, you cannot get in. So, I mean, basically when you go to China, you need to find a legit reason rather than being a missionary. They just don't give visa to missionaries. I can't imagine China not wanting to give visas to tourists, right? However, these days when you're applying for Chinese visa, they, they ask you, what do you do? Who are your employers? So obviously, if you have a, if you have a church or a religious mission organizations as your employer, they are not going to look at that favorably. So this is something that Chinese government is doing by asking who right. your employers are and what you do is a way of you know, not granting visa to these people, or if they do, they ask you to pledge, to promise, you will not engage in anything religious. So this is the kind of limitation that they are using to to reduce the impact of uh, missionary activities in uh, China. I've also heard from friends who are missionaries in other Asian countries mm-hmm. that their security concerns have increased because China is sticking its tentacles into the affairs of its neighbors. Mm-hmm. And so this isn't just something that will affect that. Oh, here, too. They're, they discovered all sorts of Chinese police stations here in America. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, here as well. And so uh, this isn't something that only affects somebody who's applying for that's a true. missionary t- uh, visa to China, yeah. but a non-existent yeah. option. China's influence is now global. I mean, for example, I heard of stories of Chinese students here in America. They are afraid of interacting with Christians and churches mm-hmm. because whatever they are doing here, the Chinese government somehow still know about it. Mm-hmm. You know, either they they've are, mobilized the whole population as their intelligence. You know, there may be some people that are actively working for the Chinese government, and some people even have concerns about their cell phone. I mean, the experts are still concerned about the WeChat. If you download your WeChat into your cell phone, you just don't know what it can do. Some even speculate that it could be used to track 
your location. So if you ended up in a church or in whatever settings, maybe you can reveal that. We don't know it for sure because we're not the ones that designed the software. And this is alarming. Chinese mm-hmm. government is very strong with technology now. Mm-hmm. Uh, China is pretty much a surveillance state. You see cameras everywhere. So, you know, I f- my heart goes out for missionaries in China. Mm. There are very few things you can hide from the praying eyes of the government. These days, when you go out somewhere, you have to carry a cell phone. And especially in China, there isn't really that much. I believe the U.S. government have the same capacity. The only difference is that U.S. government, there's checks and balance and there's limitations in what they can gather about your cell phone. In China, government is all powerful. Mm -hmm. There's no limits in what they want to get from your cell phone, your online activities, your texting messages, your pictures, everything. It's available to them if they want. It's really very hard to engage in Christian activities in China today. Obviously, you know, the Chinese Christians face the same risk. And I think the Christian missionaries need to have this perspective. There is a point when you have to, have to face the risk and take the risk. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at, I mean, that's part of the way of the cross, isn't it? We bear our cross. There isn't a way that you can engage in ministry and Christian activities absolutely free of risk. There's mm-hmm. always a risk somewhere. Uh, even going out somewhere today, when you drive, there's a risk, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we cannot be so risk averse that we don't want to do anything. But as much as we can, obviously, we don't want to take unnecessary risk. So right. I think you know, we need to be, become more savvy about the technology and how the Chinese government use the technology to, to trace people so that even if you do take risks, you know that's the risk you're taking. Yeah. There's so much more we could say, you know, and on our time is, is running short here. But could you just give us a few resources um, that, that you would recommend people check out? Like, hey, these are, these are some places that you go to, to learn about what's happening uh, in China, what's happening in these developments and how it affects uh, religious freedom and how it affects the work of Christian, uh, uh, Christian ministries throughout uh, the Chinese-speaking world. I think the website chinasource.org, chinasource.org is is a great website to get the update about what's going on in China. Uh, It's a a Christian ministry, uh, China-related. They do a lot of research to provide updates on what's going going on in China. Mm. So I, I highly recommend that. In terms of geopolitical situations, I would really encourage our viewers to go beyond CNN and Fox News. I mean, there could be one story here and there, but there's no depth. Right. Let's go to the think tanks, uh, you know, like Hoover Institute, uh, Brooklyn, uh, Brooklyn's, uh, you know, those think tanks and, and experts, they tend to be able to give you a broader context mm-hmm. so that you understand things beyond a sensational story either, you know, on, on Fox or CNN. Mm-hmm. Also, let's go beyond the U.S. You know, sometimes we are kind of limited on the U.S. perspectives. I find, you know, news sources 
uh, analysis in Australia, Singapore, and Japan tend to give you a broader perspective on how it's affecting the whole region. I didn't know the Australians were so concerned about U.S. and China tensions until I you know, check into their sources because mm. they saw U.S. military bases being built up right there in northern Australia. And, you know, to the local people, they are concerned, you know, because Australians feel like they are such a small potato right. <laughs> in the context. Big land mass, but not a lot of people on it. Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, so once you go beyond the U.S., you, you get a broader perspective mm. of of what's going on mm. uh, globally, especially regarding the China, uh, what's going on between U.S. and China tensions. And I think to wrap up, one of the most important things that we can do as Christians is not only to have a global perspective, which we should, because we've been given this mission to disciple the nations. We've also got to have an eternal perspective. We know every knee will bow. We also know that Christ has been promised to be with his church throughout the whole enactment of the Great mm -hmm. Commission. And if that means that this or that nation rises or falls, hey, if it's in the will of God, I look forward to the day that China, because the church has suffered and gotten stronger under persecution, because the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, I look forward to a Christian China evangelizing a secular pagan United States in 100 years. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, I, the Lord Jesus Christ is on the throne. It is indeed, and that's why even though I'm a realist and I saw what's concerning, but at the same time as a Christian, we are always hopeful. Mm -hmm. We know God is always in control. Empires rise and fall. It doesn't really matter what country that is. Mm. There will come a day when the empire falls and there will come a day another empire emerges, but God is in control. Mm. What's happening today doesn't surprise him and doesn't frustrate him. And he's making sure that everything happens according to his agenda. Yeah. And as we look at these events of the war and the national interest, we need to keep the kingdom interest mm -hmm. about it all mm -hmm. and have our Christian viewpoints, values, like the value of all individuals. It doesn't matter where they live, what country they are in. God loves all people. I have more <clears throat> in common with a Christian brother worshiping in an underground church in China that doesn't speak a word of English or know anything about our internal politics than I have in common with my atheist neighbor mm -hmm. that, that hates my God, hates my Lord, right? But we share a language and culture, right? right. And obviously, you know, just like Bible teaches us, us, we want to pray for kings yes. and those in authority mm -hmm. because they are vulnerable to the influence and manipulation of the dark force behind it. Yeah. Mm. It doesn't really matter. I mean, of course, we don't know how the spiritual fo forces affect individual leaders, but we know they are vulnerable. You know, they, and they have their egos, they have their ambitions. Mm -hmm. We just pray that s somehow God is able to set people free from those traps mm. and Let's pray that the leaders will have the best interests of all people in mind, rather than just their own people, their own political career, or whatever ambitions they may have. Yeah, even sinful, wicked rulers, that God would somehow just use them and restrain the evil, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. and let's hope that, you know, I believe 
God is still actively at work to restrain evil today. And uh, so let's keep that spiritual perspective in mind. It's yeah. not just geopolitical tensions. I believe behind it all are spiritual forces at work. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, David, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Alex. It's my pleasure. Listeners and viewers, thank you for joining us today as well. To get more content from the Missions Podcast, go to missionspodcast.com. Missions Podcast is a ministry of ABWE. To learn more about ABWE, go to abwe.org. If this show has been a blessing to you, share it with a friend, leave it a positive rating and review in your podcast platform of choice. And remember, you can hit the support tab on our website. If it is a blessing in your life, go ahead and pay that forward for other people. Until our next episode, thanks for watching.